and I think for any brand around e-commerce, it's finding that product where there isn't just product like, but there's product joy. It was the only Australian that point in time to go globally number one on Spotify, which is just a remarkable achievement. But that was also because, you know, there was a team here that really believed in her and, and enabled her music to get out to so many millions around the world. It's always, for me, felt that the, these David and Goliath-style mm. battles, you know, what if they could sit down in the middle of that, that arena and have a cup of tea? <laughs> <laughs> you know, what you could achieve. Welcome to Add to Cart, Australia's leading e-commerce podcast that express delivers all you need to know in the fast-moving world of online retail. Here's your host, Bushy. Welcome to another episode of Add to Cart. I'm Bushy and I'm joining you from the land of the terrible people, otherwise known as Brisbane, Australia. On Add to Cart, we welcome everyone to share and listen to e-commerce stories. The more diverse, the better. I want to especially welcome the traditional owners and the original storytellers of the land that we are on, our Indigenous and Torres Strait Islander listeners, to join us in our e-commerce conversations and our community. Yes, I know this is an e-commerce podcast, but I am continually surprised by some of the twists and the turns that take place in our conversations that often have nothing to do with e-commerce, and they're fascinating. Take, for instance, today's guest. Despite being the CEO of a sustainable homewares brand, we hear how she helped launch the career of Tones and I amongst other musicians. It's pretty wild, right? Karen Lawson is the award-winning business executive and leader in the digital technology and startup industry and currently is the CEO of Earthwise home care brand Non-Tree. That's N-O-N-T-R-E. Now, previously, Karen launched and led Peloton Australia in the middle of a pandemic. What a story. And prior to that was the MD of Spotify Australia New Zealand. Today, we tap into all of the incredible experience Karen has amassed over the years. She shares how to turn product like into product joy. She gives us her take on how to successfully move into various different international markets. And we get some tales from her time leading two of the most impactful companies in the world. We are so lucky to have Karen on with that kind of experience. Karen has also given you the chance to try Nontree's products, which I think you might want to do after listening to her speak about them so passionately. She has a 15% off discount, so stay until the end for that code. Before we jump into today's episode, I have a very special announcement. For the first time, we are having an Add to Cart e-commerce social event starting off in Brisbane on Thursday, the 21st of March. So if you are into e-commerce and you are in Brisbane, we would love to see you there. We have some surprises up our sleeve that include a soapbox and new e-commerce ideas. Tickets are now available. They are $20 each with $10 of every ticket going to our friends at Thread Together. We'd love to see you there. Come along, catch up with some old friends, meet some new ones, and maybe even, if you're up for it, jump on the soapbox. So that's it, Brisbane, 21st of March, Brewdog in the Fortitude Valley, Sydney, Melbourne. If this goes well, we'll be coming for you next. Head on over to the Add to Cart LinkedIn page to get your tickets. And one last thing, we are very excited to bring on our new gold partner, Deliver in Person, for the very first time. Over the coming weeks, you are going to hear a lot more about the exciting things that this team have going on and changing the last mile delivery experience. So... Thanks to Deliver in Person and Shopify. Here's our conversation with Karen Lawson, CEO of Nontree. Karen, welcome to Add to Cart. Thank you. Really happy to be here. I was going to comment on your decor. You've got Gorn surfing in the background here. I'm assuming you're on holidays. I am on holiday, yeah. I've come down to this beautiful little cottage. It's called... Um, Sandon Beach Cottage down in Bulai, and it's got an amazing garden if you've got dogs and a skate park if you've got kids. So, yeah, we've had a lovely time. So today is the last day, sadly. Oh, and you're spending it with me, so thank you. <laughs> there you go. We are here to talk about so much of your career so far. We first met 
when I was at Super Retail Group, yeah. so almost a decade ago now, and you were heading up the Slingshot Accelerator, and I really loved it. It was, it was a concept that really appealed to me. But more so than that, I really loved your energy for new innovation and new ideas. And your career, as we'll get to, has taken so many turns since we mm. had that original meeting. How do you decide where to invest your energy? Well, I think probably for me, it's always been about open doors. I've always been interested in learning new things. So I've never really been that leader that's always been in SaaS or maybe even always been in commerce. I've just really been interested in learning new sectors, new environments, new businesses, even I've been in lots of different types of structures from startups and scale-ups and joint ventures through to international businesses. So I think that sense of curiosity is probably what keeps me going. It's like uh, even this latest business I'm in at the moment, which is called Non-Treat, which I'm sure we'll get to talk about, again, has brought me into, into contact with uh, new environments that I haven't come across before. So we're all learning about e-commerce and digital in, in lots of different ways. And I like the fact that I can help other boards or CEOs or founders see around those corners because I've been in so many different industries. I kind of am constantly asking why. Yeah, I love curiosity it's one of the traits that i always look for in people because i think if you're curious you can always work out how to do stuff you can see what's coming you've got a bit of vision do you have moments where you just go i'm not curious anymore i'm like i'm happy just doing what i'm doing (laughs) or is it just an internal driver look i think i mean sometimes you get pulled back in different directions in your career so maybe if you run an accelerator before you get headhunted to run another accelerator but I think those are the moments where I feel like I've been there, I've learned that, I've been in that environment, and I don't necessarily want to go and repeat myself. I actually want to grow and develop. So I think those are the only environments where I would probably say no to like a full-time CEO or leadership role because I feel like I've had that burst of energy and that curiosity and and brought scale to that business. But now I want to move into maybe a, a new industry or to learn. So. Those are probably the only times where I kind of feel like, oh, I don't really want to go and repeat that. But I have to say, I'm much more of a growth and scale leader than a BAU leader. So, yeah, I, I work really well in those kind of fast scaling, innovation driven environments. Does that mean you've got to have a certain level of self-confidence to be able to jump from industry to industry, to jump from project to maybe a totally different project to satisfy that curiosity? I think that's a great question. I think the challenge is more the people that the boards that hire you or the founders that hire you to do a role, which is most people look to de-risk a hire and they look for evidence of deep industry understanding. The reality, I would say, is the other way around, is you've probably got a company where 96% of people have already been in e-commerce, have been operating in China, or have already got that deep knowledge maybe of Amazon or supply chain. So the skill sets you should be looking for in a CEO or leader should be different. It's about do they have vision? Do they have curiosity? Are they able to align a team that may be unaligned? Are they able to, you know, forge new territories? Are they able to listen? Are they able to operate in quite complicated stakeholder environments? I think there are lots of other questions and qualities you should be asking of a leader other than simply have they been in that industry? Because it's likely that you've got lots of knowledge there. And do you, you talk about diversity all the time, but surely you really want diversity in that leader to get the best out of that team. Oh, yes. I've got so many more questions, but we'll come back to them (laughs) around leadership. I want to move towards where you are currently putting all your leadership effort and skills. I won't say Mm -hmm. all because you you still are doing multiple things, but in terms of non-tree, I, in our pre-chat, I was mistakenly calling it non-tre, thinking I would be very <laughs> fancy, but it is non-tre, N-O-N-T-R-E dot co. Yeah. Can you tell us about the team there and why you're attracted to leading this organisation? Yeah, look, it's a great business and I love kind of the, the founder story as well. They've the two brothers, they've been in the industry for a long time, got a number of restaurants, property development businesses, and I guess the thing I really love is that they, in the middle of lockdown, saw that need that there wasn't one product or range of products that went all the way through your home and nothing that was design-led that was quality, but most of all, it was sustainable. And the brothers are 
deeply passionate about sustainability. And we're sure if we look across our home and our product range, we've got lots of different products, lots of different ranges, but nothing that inherently brings us joy is it designed in a beautiful way. Most of, I think, home products that, apart from maybe candles, are very, they're very functional. They're very chemical driven. And I think we should have much higher expectations of what our home is, could be on our impact on the environment, which is quite significant. So that's what really drew me to, I guess, to the business. And also just it's got a, an enormous range and the aspirations to really go global with this business. So really, really exciting, young, scaling, lots of enthusiasm and a really wonderful purpose to get behind. And did all that satisfy your curiosity if you're weighing this up around where do I put my energy and my efforts? Was there anything in particular that you were really curious about where you could see yourself stretched? Yeah, I think there are a couple of things for the business. And I guess every startup goes through lots of different challenges. I think this one was slightly different in terms of as a startup, the range was extraordinarily broad, both in the number of products, but also the categories from laundry, cleaning, home, personal care, gifting, car, and probably the most loved person in the home, which is your pet. (laughs) And that's actually quite an undertaking for any e-commerce brand to be able to break through into those categories and really own and make sense and have your messaging right. So I think sometimes people move from simplicity to complexity, this one is complexity to simplicity. And I think also just around the brand and the messaging and the positioning was something that I think we needed to make it a little bit easier for consumers to kind of really understand who we are, what we do, and why you would choose us as opposed to lots of other things that are out there. And what has been your first steps in moving the brand from complexity to simplicity? Mm. So the first thing was really going through a whole brand refresh and creating a manifesto so that we really understood what our key messages were, what our brand pillars were, so we could articulate it much more consistently to customers, to suppliers, but also as you're going internationally, that consistency really matters. And particularly if you're going into Asia as well, I think sustainability, quality, design, all of those things really matter, particularly in the Chinese market. And so we have to get much, I think, clear about articulating our reasons why. When you think of your last e-commerce experience that went wrong, how did it go wrong? Was it because there wasn't enough product images? Was it an out-of-whack mobile experience? Was it that one rogue negative review? I doubt it. I bet it was because of your last mile experience and whether your product turned up on time and undamaged. That's what we remember. Delivered in full on time, or DiFot for the sexy shortened version, is a key metric for retailers and customers. Why? Because it's a critical indicator of reliable on-time delivery and the post-purchase customer experience. However, many Australian retailers are settling for 70 to 80% delivered in full on-time results. That's a lot of unhappy customers. That's why brands such as July, Samsonite and The Party People turn to deliver in person. With an average DIFOT score of 99.6%, you are delivering experiences to remember. Do not settle for less. Find out more at deliverinperson.com. Obviously, COVID baby, and since COVID, we've had an explosion of products that are for the home and also sustainable, maybe not Mm. with as wide a category offering that you have. How do you differentiate when there is so many brands out there at the moment talking Mm. about being green, talking about sustainable, talking about friendly for the environment? How do you stand Mm. out? and actually land a message that people go, oh, this is different? We're really on that mission to revolutionise the art of home care. And I think looking at what you would go and buy in a supermarket shelves, a lot of this is functional. It's not actually lifestyle-driven at all. When we think about laundry, the offering that comes back from companies is, is it colours or is it white? But the reality for all of us is that you know we're living a life that's full of like sports and fitness and baby and all these different things. So we've actually developed a range that is lifestyle based. So we've got a sports laundry. So if anyone has gone out and bought anything like Lululemon or let's say Peloton Apparel, you'll know you're you're spending up for, or close to probably two hundred dollars just for some leggings. Yeah. And so being able to make sure that all of those clothes are actually 
you know, quite expensive purchases need to be cared for, which has another impact on the environment and sustainability and trying to slow down this kind of fast fashion movement. So our range goes from enhanced, which is kind of all purpose, through to laundry, baby, non-irritant. And so we really kind of approach it more like a lifestyle perspective. So when you do have a category that you can be so broad in terms of the products that you release. Mm -hmm. You can go into lip balms, you can go to laundry detergents. There's a lot of products in between. Focusing on your lifestyle segments, your guiding light into Mm -hmm. where you put your efforts from a product perspective. Look, I think laundry for us is a really good one because it's not a one-time purchase. There is a lifetime value to the customer. It is a repeat purchase and it is something no matter whether it's good times or bad times, we still need to wash our clothes. So I, I think very much for us, we're always front of mind. We're engaging with our customers. And then I think the customers start to become really curious about our other products because they've fallen in love with the fragrances, the wall balls and the fragrance oils that we've got. And then they might move into, it might be dish soap or it might be our purpose cleaner. And so we start to see people move across the range once they've kind of landed somewhere um, and, and I think for any brand around e-commerce, it's finding that product where there isn't just product like, but there's product joy. And then that's much easier to say, oh, now I feel confident with this. I might try something else. And I think particularly for all of us, it's difficult times for a lot of households right now. And so you think carefully about, do I want to try something new or do I stay with something that's tried and tested that I know? I think it's really valuable to have a product where people love it because then you can move them through the range and and drive your business growth that way. And we have a lot of repeat customers and word of mouth, which is always really helpful. I'm really interested in that product joy concept. How do you take customers who might say those words, like I've never loved laundry more, who might not necessarily be influencers or even have a big social following, but how do you take that genuine joy that they're feeling and then from a marketing sense, amplify that so others can see the joy that it's bringing? I think when somebody feels like they're part of the brand, they own the brand, they're providing that feedback, that's when you get that engagement. And we've seen that not only just with Nontra, but certainly with the passion of some of the other businesses I've driven from Peloton to Spotify is people are talking about it, they're engaging about it. They feel like they've got some form of ownership over the experience. And there's a lovely story around Spotify, actually, where we worked with Starbucks and we were selling Spotify gift cards in Starbucks. So we actually trained all the staff and they all got free Spotify. And when that, I guess that partnership ended, Starbucks wanted to rescind the Spotify subscription and the staff were absolutely beside themselves and said, absolutely no way can you take this away from us now? (laughs) And so when you get that kind of engagement from your customers, you know you're doing something right because they feel like they own it and they love it and they're driving the development and the changes. So a lot of these product iterations are not because you've got an amazing product manager in your team. It's actually that you should have curiosity to listen and to learn what your customers are telling you and what they want. And is an important part of that engaging with the feedback rather than just letting the feedback happen and live? Yeah, absolutely. And I think we've all had those experiences. So it's, it's great where customers do love you, but it's also equally important to pay attention to those elements when you don't get things right, whether the packaging is lit or broken or a spray's not worked or some element is, you know, we can often learn more from the things that go wrong than from the things that go right. Yes. So I'm really interested to know, obviously, you're grounded in sustainability at Nontree from a product perspective, but how does that then translate into business operational practices? What have you learned that you think other e-commerce businesses could learn around making Mm. business more sustainable? Look, I think it's more than just creating a sustainable product. It's about being very aware of what we do as employees, the team, whether we're using the air conditioning in the office or turning off the lights, how we're using recycling again in our environment. We are actually carbon neutral as a business. So we get audited on a regular basis around all elements, not just our supply chain and our products and how they're produced and distributed, but actually how we operate as a business. And our founder actually has a water bike and he actually gets on the harbour and travels across the harbour, which is 
quite frightening with the, all the ferries and all the boats across because he would rather get on a water bike or even his bike and move around the city than get in an Uber or a taxi or a car. And so I think when you have a founder that really is so deeply passionate that he is leading from the front, we see that across our business. So we're very thoughtful about all of the things that we do in the office as the business. You know, all I'm imagining with a water bike is, you know, those bikes that have the huge big wheels that go on water? Have I got the picture totally wrong? The best way to describe it is think of two kayaks. Almost like a pedal bike sits on two kayaks and you pedal it and it that's how it looks. It's quite frightening actually to see it. He's braver than I am. It's pretty that way. <laughs> if you see someone out in Sydney Harbour. Say hello to Gary. Two canoes pedaling, be very careful. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. You mentioned at the start around the focus on international markets, especially China. Does the sustainability proposition, does it stack up as well over there or is it just a prerequisite that it's expected that at mm. some level you are sustainable? How does it translate from Australia to China? Mm. I think China is such a huge market, it's almost impossible to generalise. I do think if you're entering the market maybe 10 years ago, if you're Australian, it's kind of, you know, Brand Australia was so trusted. I think, though, 10 years on, it's quite different. They're very sophisticated buyers and shoppers, and they're definitely, you know, very price conscious. I think where we sit in that market segmentation is sitting in that kind of luxury end of the market. And when you look at luxury, but also design, quality, and the kind of area that we're moving towards, which is, you know, that market leadership in laundry and cleaning, and most of the other comparable products are actually not beautifully designed. They're much more functional. And and I think that's where we kind of stand out. So that I think you just have to segment that market and say, where can we get that white space? Because it's extraordinarily expensive now to go into China and to operate on Tmall and to, whether you're doing cross-border or whether you've decided to, you know, set up inside that business, you know, it's not as easy as, oh, I would just, you know, build a website and, and off we go. Huge amounts of investment. And I think we found through operating in that market for some time now how extraordinarily expensive it is. And it takes a really long time to crack through. So I think you have to ask yourself, is that the right market? Is this the right time? And when is your go-to-market in the evolution and scaling of your business? When is that the right point to go into those markets and we're still working through all of those questions and we're now actually pivoting into the US we're just launching the US and we hope to market into into the UK a bit later on this year which is my hometown yeah <laughs> good chance to go home for a little bit <laughs> maybe <laughs> mum would be happy <laughs> <laughs> it was really interesting when you were talking about that because my first thought was in the conversations that we've been having over the last six months it feels like a lot of Australian brands as they're getting to the point of being really well known in Australia are looking to the US first and foremost mm. maybe a little yeah. stop over in New Zealand to test the international taxes yeah. and the rest before going over to the US I'm not hearing too many go directly to China what would your advice be for brands who are considering going directly to China as their first international play? I think do your research. And even that can be extraordinarily overwhelming because there are so many choices. And I think is also really helpful is, is go and talk to other e-commerce leaders that have done that in maybe similar styles of business or similar sizes of business to you hear some of those war stories, learn from those mistakes. And I think take the emotion out of it. A lot of the time, I think as founders or CEOs or leaders of businesses, you know, we have a dream to do X, Y, Z, and then we go and do our research and maybe we're not really listening to the feedback. And I do think, as you mentioned, when you do any kind of new market or new expansion there is a big learning curve to that around how you do your go-to-market entry and build out that playbook which is strong or robust and have got all of those layers to it but make sure you know that playbook whilst it will work across different countries always has to be tailored always has to be localized so you're always going to be learning you're always going to be adapting but i think try and do as much research and and have all of those conversations before you go and do that. And 
again, you might want to just test with one product, try and do something which is small, easy, low cost, and a way that you can get those feedback loops coming into the business without necessarily kind of going full force into a market and then realizing, ah, oh, actually, we maybe made the wrong turn here. I really love that tip around taking the emotion out of it and being open to feedback, even when it is confronting. Mm. Do you remember any time with Nontree in your international expansion endeavors where you've had a piece of really confronting feedback that has forced you to kind of change pretty quickly? I think before I joined the business, the, the range was very broad. And I guess the selling point was the breadth of the range. However, I think as I got more fully involved in the business, speaking to those TPs about what do you like in this range and the the feedback was really consistent like scarily consistent that there were probably four to five different products that they all really liked they all felt that they could make money selling there was a gap in the market whilst for some people that kind of feedback is like what about all my other products who I love or it might be these ones might be doing better in Australia you have to listen to people that really know that market and you may believe that your business is an audio business, but actually your customers are telling you, no, it's actually, it might be a, a books business. So really take that feedback from those individuals that would either be a distributor in market, would be selling your product or a platform or some form of channel, because it's really about consistently what they think is going to do well with their customer or client base and really lean into that as opposed to um, maybe having a fixed view on what you think would work. Yeah, that makes total sense. Now, speaking of audio businesses, I'd love to chat. I'd love to get a little bit of insight to your time at Spotify. I remember when you went over there, I was like, oh, wow, that is so cool because <laughs> Spotify at the time, if I've got my timings right and tell me if I haven't, it felt like that was the time where streaming was being accepted as the way to consume music just, just on the verge of streaming being accepted as the ultimate way to consume music and then the challenge for you if i remember right was around well how do we make people pay for this is that fair so maybe a slightly different story yeah, to that cool. actually I, I think globally that's a really interesting observation because globally by then spotify was in a, around about 140 countries however back to kind of what we've been talking about earlier about market expansion and how you expand and where you land expand from. Spotify is actually a Swedish company. It's not American, but it had gone into English speaking countries. And so Australia was a fifth or sixth market, but it had been actually going for seven years. So we were a very mature, very stable market and also very strongly orientated towards premium. So a very small audience actually listening for free, okay. and that was the ad-funded model. However, when you look at other newer international markets at, at that point in time when I was there, you know, moving into India, moving into Asia, you know, it has a very different makeup of what people are prepared to pay and what they're prepared to enjoy as a consumer experience. So you would almost see the flip of that commercial model in terms of, 90% of people were listening for free and quite happy to listen to ads and 10% of people were paying for the premium service. So it really is back to each different market has very different nuances and are going through different stages of growth and you have to be really prepared for those. So certainly for us in Australia, it was a very mature market, but I got the opportunity to, I guess, transition the business from purely a music-based auditory experience through to what it is today, which is now podcasting and now it's moved again into into audiobooks. Mm. So that was, you know, a really big step in terms of monetization because anyone that's in music or licensing knows that it's extraordinarily hard to make money, believe it or not, <laughs> because the licensing fees back to the record labels are so high. So it was a very low-margin business. But if you're able to take that audience and monetize that through podcasting, which had a completely different commercial model, you're able to double monetize your audience, which for any founder or any business is a really fantastic thing to realize that you can either, you know, monetize two sides of your marketplace or maybe double monetize that, that particular audience because you're offering them a different type of service. Yeah. And what did you learn about 
I suppose, consumer engagement or keeping customers interested because mm. lots of bright, flashy new platforms popping up, ways to consume music, some pretty big competitors in the Big Apple. And what was your approach to keeping people interested? Because Spotify just seems like the train that just keeps going regardless mm. of what's happening around it. I think there are a couple of ways to answer that. I think the first thing is recognising that algorithms are great but on their own don't lead necessarily to discovery. They often lead to creating your choices and feeding you more of what you like. But there's inherent danger in that, as we've seen across news, politics, AI fakes, that that human intervention is actually not only needed, but actually very helpful for our discovery. So I think there is a real purpose and a deliberateness, the fact that these playlists were both kind of AI or algorithm curated, but also had human elements to them, which I think was very important around people finding the genres they like, but also having that moment of, wow, who are these Tesky brothers or, yeah. you know, who is this uh, Tones and I? So the team actually discovered Tones and I. And again, we were kind of looking at the numbers and we popped in a couple of playlists because we saw that it was getting some I guess, some traction, but it was also real shout out to our head of music at the time who used her global influence and relationships and was really pushing the US to say there's something about this song, you know, we really should get this on some global playlists and the rest is history. And so, you know, so incredibly proud of that team that, yes, there was an algorithm there, but there was somebody human that was advocating for this woman, her story, her music. And, you know, completely different sound. And then, as we know, the rest is history. It was the only Australian at that point in time to go globally number one on Spotify, which is just a remarkable achievement. But that was also because there was a team here that really believed in her and and enabled her music to get out to so many millions around the world. And does Tones and I know that's happening at Spotify, that you're picking that track up and putting it in all these international playlists? Yeah, the artists do know. And that's why I think anyone in those music teams are constantly harassed. (laughs) There is an importance about you putting them into whether it's a front left playlist or getting them into some of these big kind of Aussie hits playlists because they've just got a big following and the algorithms will pick them up. But there's also, as I said, some human intervention and even things about the role that we play in diversity, equity and inclusion, not just thinking about Raising the profile of people from different backgrounds, genders, colors, races, but also the people behind the music. So we were also very thoughtful around what are those artists where the recording studios have, have females or the producer is a female or the writer is a female, even though the singer and the person you would associate with the song. So, you know, it has enormous power to lift people up out of environments of prejudice to help us really kind of understand and recognise, I think, more fully the impact that we have as listeners that we can have on everyone else's lives. Incredible. That would have definitely satisfied your curiosity, your time. (laughs) (laughs) It is. Yeah, absolutely. And then moving on to Peloton, which was another holy moly moment for me, looking at at that. (laughs) That's a great description, yeah. (laughs) When you took that role on, if I remember correctly, and again, please correct me if my memory doesn't serve me right. At that time, there was a huge wait list for Peloton, especially in Australia. People were waiting months because obviously very prominent in the US, but still to land Mm. here in Australia properly. Tell me about that first week where Peloton officially launched in Australia. (laughs) We knew it was going to be crazy. I was hired before we officially went into lockdown, so we actually hired the entire team. I think almost for a year I didn't get to meet anyone in my team, Wow, which was really fantastic journey and I think a challenge of of leadership and, and building a culture where no one's ever met one another. But that week was extraordinary. And to some degree, you know, there was always this tension with, do we have enough what we call bikes and water? Did we have enough bikes that were coming in from overseas to launch with? And and my gut feel was, no, we didn't. But all the data and the analysis said that we did. And guess what? No, we didn't. (laughs) (laughs) So we did a controlled rollout. We actually launched in only a couple of states. So in Sydney, Melbourne, in Brisbane and kind of the surrounding areas. 
And again, we talked about so starting off small, learning, testing the viability of the business. And because we were vertically integrated, we ran a lot of that, those experiences, which places so much pressure on every touch point of the business because you own it. But we had the most phenomenal pre-launch in terms of media and press and build up. And also there was a significant awareness of Peloton in terms of unaided awareness. We were sitting at 30% before we even opened it as a market, whereas I think when we launched in the UK a few years before, it was sitting at 10%. So we knew the awareness was going to be there. We're in the middle of lockdown. We're moving into winter. I mean, just all of these perfect storms Hmm. hit together. And then we launched and we sold out our bikes very, very quickly. And so we were literally back on the phone saying, get us more bikes. <laughs> so we got through that. But, I mean, you know, just amazing teamwork to look after our customers, you know, manage those kind of waiting times. You know, it's always heartbreaking, isn't it? Because your early adopter customers, the ones that have been following your, your journey, they're the loyal ones. You really want to make feel so special. And when you don't get it right on that launch and they're, they're there, they're waiting, it's really disappointing. But it was wonderful to get that feedback as, you know, and I went on the first ride alongs with the first bikes that were delivered to customers. And that was just thrilling That's cool. to see people's faces as we kind of came in their houses, got them set up on the bikes, put them into their clips. And, you know, finally there it was something they'd been dreaming of having for a really long time. It'd been on probably Zooms and calls with people overseas and seeing the bike in the background and, and there it is now it's in your lounge so an incredibly proud time for everything it took for us to launch at all really yeah. considering you know everything that it took i mean that's that product joy again isn't it yeah it absolutely is yeah i mean they call it a cult we were never used yes. to able to <laughs> use that word other people use that word we would say people are very passionate about it but there is, I guess, you know, very similar to Spotify and to music, people really find their tribe, they find their instructor, they find the kinds of classes they like because it's so much more than a bike. There are thousands of different classes and different types from yoga to meditation to bar to pilates to dance. It's not simply a bike. It's really a, a portal into a completely different fitness world. One of my core childhood memories was buying my first TIAC Discman. I freaking loved that thing. That is, until all my friends got the Sony Discman, then my old Skipman, well, it didn't seem so cool. And so it is with e-commerce platforms. Did you know that well over 100,000 Australian businesses are now on Shopify and they power over 25% of all e-commerce here? All the cool kids are there too. JB Hi-Fi, High Smile, Tiger Lily, LSKD, Patagonia, Princess Polly, July Age, Culture Kings. They've got Shopify Plus and it's easy to see why. The Shopify Plus checkout converts 36% better than other checkouts. It's customizable. It has D2C and B2B capability. It has international expansion stores. And that's just the start. Don't settle for a platform that skips. Check out shopify.com forward slash au forward slash plus and get in touch with the Aussie Shopify Plus team to see how Shopify Plus can power your business without missing a beat. Looking on at Peloton now, post-COVID and post that rush here and also internationally, it feels like more competitive. It's not as easy going. There's not customers on huge wait lists anymore because everything's kind of caught up and Mm. kind of hit a bit more normal. I've been speaking to a fair few retailers recently who are are struggling now, I think, with the post-COVID normalization. What do you foresee for Peloton? Obviously, you're not there and you're not connected mm-hmm. at the moment. But how do you feel they'll stay relevant in today's market? They brought in a new CEO, Barry from Spotify, who's the <laughs> CFO. And Barry is extraordinarily respected globally for his understanding of subscription methodology. And so whilst I was in the business, I saw so many opportunities for us to maybe do things differently, drive more innovation, have a much more open platform. I think more customer focused in terms of what customers want. So at the time, you couldn't use your bike or any of our different, whether it's the treadmill, all those kinds of things. It was a closed community, whereas now deals have been done with people like Netflix. So it's like if you want to jump on your bike and you want to catch up on the latest edition of Yellowstone, you can do. Whereas before, it wasn't like that. And I also think 
really focusing on that top of funnel, which for me was very much thinking about our culture. We're warm climate. People like to exercise outdoors. And so we have a natural affiliation with the app. So you can go outside and do yoga on the beach or you can go and do a box exercise class in the park. But it also does mean that you're able to, you know, acquire customers, build loyalty, build that customer acquisition at the top of the funnel. And, and people really, really love these classes and really love their instructors. And so it's a natural progression then for people to want to aspire to maybe have a connected fitness unit, whether that's a trade or a bike. And so I feel that, you know, moving into those more open layers, more customer focused and more customer centric ways of operating of being able to really, I think, drive a much more open and flexible way to grow the business. And again, back then, Peloton was still very much, we're only land and expand if we can do absolutely everything. So we wouldn't just enter with an app. I think there's definitely a possibility in, you know, to think about yourself more like the way Spotify thought, which is, do you really need to have bikes? Could you just enter mm-hmm. with the app and then do a fast or a slow follow and kind of build out from there? So I think there are, you know, more opportunities around sustainability, thinking about that supply chain and that how do you reuse a bike? How do you have to create a second market or secondary market for people that maybe want to get rid of their bike and upgrade to a bike plus or maybe they started with the bike and now we've got treads and, and they would rather swap out so i think there are lots of opportunities to be much more sustainable and create those new pathways to growth and to scale i love it and i could see the thread of your thinking there back to what we were talking about originally with non-tree around fitting into customer lifestyles rather than trying mm-hmm. to force a product into the lifestyle think about yeah. how is a customer acting now what's important to them is it sport is it family is it music and try and fit into that lifestyle rather than force your way in yeah absolutely so we have touched on the surface of your amazing career so far and we haven't (laughs) even talked about your other roles at yahoo and career one we're so lucky to have a leader of your expertise in australia but also you are very passionate about sharing your leadership with other organisations. You're a non-executive director at Save the Children. I'd love to hear more about that and why that's important to you. Yeah, I think from my time running a, an accelerator, the, the curiosity and I guess the impact you can have in this very strange land that lives between corporates and startups working together because corporates have got the money and the scale Startups got the agility, probably the passion, the drive and the innovation. And it's always, for me, felt that these David and Goliath style battles, what if they could sit down in the middle of that arena and have a cup of tea, <laughs> <laughs> what you could achieve. And I saw that when I was at Career One, is that I actually partnered with a, a little known startup called Airtask. It was only three months old at the time. And that really helped Tim's business get off the ground. And they had access to a million people a month through the platform of what was Career One and News. And, and so I really love that, I guess, the partnering ability of, of corporates and startups and, and really spent an amazing couple of years at doing that. And so back to your question around, I guess, the role at Save the Children Fund is Save the Children is an enormous organisation spanning the globe and has a huge, huge impact on millions and millions of people's lives. And yet the charity model really hasn't changed Mm. from kind of the begging bowl in the street to maybe more marketing smarts, but it's still the same message. And the reason why I joined the investment committee is that the vision was to disrupt the charitable model. So instead of having the begging bowl, why don't we create create a venture capital fund? Why don't we invest that money into the startups that are actually solving for the problems that we would traditionally have been throwing money at? And we can actually help them scale, whether it's our networks, it's health, education, it's our relationships with governments around the world, things that startups would innately struggle with to have those relationships, those connectivity points. And it's been remarkable to see the journey of some of those startups. So one business, for example, that we invested in called Inquisitive has actually scaled into the US, but is working from uh, Save the Children offices. Obviously, now that's saving them funding, they've been able to land and expand in that environment. 
enabling them to keep their costs under control. And also many of these startups or early scale-ups we're investing in, we're actually customers of these products as well. There's one business called OHO, which has a continuous monitoring service for anyone that works with children. So whilst there are a lot of players out there that when you hire somebody, they do those background checks, there is no other platform out there that does a continuous monitoring, which is quite frankly frightening if you're a a mum or a dad Mm. thinking about all of the different environments in which your children come into contact with adults in a trusted environment. So those are things I think which are extraordinarily powerful in terms of how do you give back as a large corporate organisation, how you can actually lift people up, how you can help other startups scale, but how innately they're enabling you to be far more innovative in what can be quite challenging environments to be able to, you know, take away those resources in large organisations when you know that that, that's where you're getting your money today, but not maybe where you're focusing your energy for tomorrow. And that's where the startups come into play. Yeah. And I love how you've just rattled that off and you've said, we've changed the model or we're changing the model from rattling the tin to investing in businesses for long-term change. Mm. That's not an easy headspace to get people around, especially if they've been in charity for a long time. If we've got people listening who are in e-commerce businesses right now, or they're trying to convince other people of their big ideas and big ambitions, can you leave us with a final tip that has served you well in your career so far on how to help others, especially those who might be more senior to us, to see merit in new ideas that change the status quo? I think as much as people want to be the first person to do something and that sounds incredibly sexy and exciting, you really don't want to be the first person to do something because it takes a lot of time and effort. The absolute one thing you must concentrate on first before you do anything is about education. And that actually is about empathy. And it's often meeting your customer or investor where they're at, not where you want them to be. And a good example of this, even with non-tree, is we're moving into hotels and hospitality and something like laundry. Sadly, still people are using sachets. They haven't gone into those full-size amenities. Mm. And so whilst we can do the full-size, that, that industry isn't there yet. So it's sometimes meeting them where they're at and giving them those transition paths to make that easier to be able to migrate and to then find your champions. And inside every organisation, whether it's VC funds, whether it's corporates, whether it's customers, there will be people that want change. There will be people that are those early adopters that see your vision, that are inspired by it, that want to help their organisation move on. And so trying to change a, a mass of people is often difficult. But if you can find those few, you've got the ability to do something and then to create these wonderful stories and be a great storyteller that will inspire others to want to be part of that change because often they don't want to be first. So find some of those small sections of society that want to be with you on that roller coaster that enjoy that fear, enjoy embracing that change and take them on that journey and they'll be able to storytell for you and then everyone will have FOMO and away you go. I love that. So much crammed into that. (laughs) Find the few that you can change. Develop great storytelling. Don't try and be the first. Empathize. So much there. So thank you, Karen. That's really great. What is next for you and the (laughs) team at Nontree? Where do you even go next? I think for us, it's the international expansion, but also Here, because we've predominantly been a consumer brand, I really see there's so much opportunity for us to make much more significant impact in some of those B2B spaces. So starting to work with bigger retailers, whether that's Baby Bunting or a pet circle or working with some of those larger hotel groups that are really starting to think about their ESG and sustainability footprint not just for, I guess, the obvious things like the full-size toiletries, but thinking about that whole environment where people might be staying. And the big one for us is around what I'm doing right now is kind of Airbnbs, where people are coming into this home environment and there is an opportunity for those hosts to, to create you know beautiful, extraordinary 
experiences with these small little touches where we may be not able to live in our dream home where we can go surfing, but we all all can benefit from that lipstick effect of having that one product or a couple of nice things in your home that bring you those touches of joy. If, if you can't own your own dream home, maybe you can have those touches of what it feels like to have a dream home with great products that, that make you feel luxury and it's a bit of an indulgence. Do you just product bomb around the houses where you stay on holidays <laughs> on Airbnb with like non-trade products? I do products actually. <laughs> I do actually, yeah. I've actually brought one of the hosts in products. So I actually met her this morning, Alana. So she's got a few things, especially our dog watch is amazing. So my rescue greyhounds are looking all super glossy after coming back from the beach. <laughs> amazing. <laughs> I might use it on my hair. <laughs> <laughs> test dummy. The CEO is the test dummy. When did that ever happen? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> all right. And if people want to get in touch with you or learn learn more about non-tree what's the best way for them to do that get in touch with me super easy on linkedin I'm, I'm pretty active on that so just search me karen lawson love to hear from you especially if there are any retailers out there that are looking for some really wonderful products but also an amazing team to work with because we know that makes a big difference to everyone so that would be great and if you want to contact us just reach us at nontray.co and we'd love to say hello I mean, what a career so far. I love how Karen has let her curiosity take her to what is interesting for her. And as you can see, it's opened up the most incredible doors. I mean, think about Peloton, especially at that time, to be in the seat driving that into a new market like Australia. What a fascinating journey. Spotify, now Nontre, plus all the work she does with her startups and the charity sector. I just think it's such a well-rounded a fascinating career and I'm really lucky that we got to have Karen on our show. All right, here are the three lessons. If I could pinpoint three lessons, here are the three that I took out of that chat with Karen. Number one, find your champions. If you want to convince others to undertake your radical ideas, and you should have radical ideas, seek out the few that believe in you and bring them on the journey to inspire the rest. You don't have to do it alone. Number two, not all markets are created equal. As we heard from Karen with the China expansion for Nontree and the international ownership of Peloton and Spotify, every country not only has its own operational quirks, but also its own culture. Make sure you understand both before expanding. And number three, be truly open to feedback. Whether it's from your customers or from your distributors or from your internal team, sometimes feedback isn't exactly what you want to hear and it can be confronting. But these are the times when it is usually the most valuable. Remember, curiosity didn't kill anything. It cultivates it. Now, if you want 15% off the entire range of premium non-trade products, and why wouldn't you if they bring you so much joy, use the code addtocart15, all one word, addtocart15 at nontree.co. Thanks for joining us today on Add to Cart. To listen to all our e-commerce conversations, now in the hundreds, you can head on over to addtocart.com.au. There, you can also join up to our free private Slack community to share e-commerce ideas, tips, and questions with other listeners. You can also subscribe to the Add to Cart weekly newsletter and browse some of the video highlights from our chats. There is a lot there. That's addtocart.com.au. And if I can ask you one thing before you go, if you enjoyed today's episode, make sure you share it with a friend or a colleague who could benefit or leave us a review. It really makes a difference. Thanks again for listening. And until next time, keep those customers adding to cart. Listener.